Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Okay, hello everybody and welcome to the Chakra Way Meditation Podcast. Today I'm joined by a somebody who I'm very aligned with because we both have meditation podcasts and it is the gorgeous Meryl Arnett who has a podcast called The Mindful Minute and is a meditation teacher. So welcome Meryl, thanks for joining me. Thank you Roseanne, I'm so happy to chat with you today. Yeah, this is going to be interesting because we have very parallel lives, as in we both teach meditation. We both do it on podcasts, although you've been doing it for a few years longer than I have. So I jumped on the bandwagon, I guess. <laughs> so tell me a bit about where your journey started and when you got into meditation and when you became a teacher. And just tell me all the, the, the background of where you got to how you are, where you are. Yeah, it's um, it's a funny story, actually. So I this all started in my mid-20s. I was getting married and I signed up for a yoga and Pilates boot camp mm. thinking, I would look amazing in my wedding dress and maybe I would calm down a little bit before the wedding. Decent plan. Yeah. Right. I had never done yoga before. I had done a lot of Pilates, but I had never done yoga. And I show up for this 6 a.m. yoga class and I unroll a mat. And somewhere in the middle of that class, I very, very clearly heard or felt or knew that I was going to teach yoga someday, like clear as a bell, without a doubt, this is what I was here to do. And so I started taking all the classes and trying different studios in the city. And I found a teacher and I did, you know, three, four years later, I did my first teacher training and I became a yoga teacher. And I was still working full time at that at that point, I was um, in public relations. Okay. So I was working full-time in PR. I was teaching a couple classes on the side. And 
I sort of knew that yoga was the precursor to meditation, but I didn't learn anything about meditation in any of the yoga classes I took, nor did I learn anything about it in my yoga teacher training. That's interesting. And which, then, which type of teacher training did you do? Who was it? it? It was a hot yoga. So it was a Bikram training yeah. and I didn't, you know, they don't meditate. Yeah. Um, no, it's the same, the same. I mean, my yoga teacher training was Iyengar and mm. that's, you know, that's a full on, you know, you, you're not allowed to even think about doing the teacher training until you've done, I think it's at least five years of practice. And then you have to be recommended by a senior teacher. And then it's two years with lots of assessments along the way, but never a second of meditation training. Mr. Iyengar's philosophy was that yoga practice in and of itself was a meditation, which I prescribed to for quite some time sure. until I decided that I wanted to go beyond that. So yeah. So anyway, carry on. It's just really, you know, I'm happy to hear that. It's interesting. When I tell this story, sometimes people are like, I can't believe you didn't learn meditation. We meditated all the time. So I feel like, you know, oh gosh, yeah, I, mean, I wish, I, I, wish I, I had. But I've talked to yoga teachers who've t- whose teacher training has taken in the chakra system, the energetic body, the meditation, mm-hmm. the doshas, the like Ayurveda, like like everything, like so many things. And you're like, wow, you know, there is there is so many different ways of of uh, learning to be a yoga teacher. It's a really fascinating journey. Yeah, it is. It mm. is. So I am teaching these classes. And I keep getting this question, can you teach me to meditate? And I was like, I I can't, I have no idea how to meditate. I better figure it out. (laughs) So I signed up for a five day meditation training and I sat eight hours a day for five days. And at the end of that training, I was like, I can't meditate. I don't know how to meditate. And I could never teach anybody else to do this. And that felt so different than what I felt when I was teaching yoga. And I knew the two were related. I knew yoga spoke to me on so many levels. And I just was unwilling to accept that meditation was not for me. And so I was like, I'm, I am here to figure this out. And I went to several different um, Buddhist temples that we have here in the city. And I studied with several different teachers, just trying little classes. And it wasn't until I found Tara Brock, that was the first teacher that spoke about meditation in the exact way that I experienced meditation in my body. And I was like, Oh, now I got it. And so that's when I was like, I'm in with two feet. I'm practicing all the time. I'm loving it. And I felt like, I don't want this to be so hard. Mm-hmm. I don't want people to have to find, hunt through all these different teachers and feel like they're doing it wrong when the whole time we're doing it right. Yeah. And so that's when I really shifted my teaching from yoga into meditation. Now I fully, I only teach meditation. Oh, really? um, okay. And I'm, you know, my mission is to teach as many people as possible and to make you understand that you can do that. You can meditate. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is. It's a, it's a big journey to, to, to get to that point where you think I can meditate because so many people, they say, oh, I can't meditate because I can't shut my brain down or I can't stop thinking or whatever it is. And, 
And I have to say that is normal. That is perfectly fine. You know, the the the, the sitting with nary a thought or an atom passing through your mind is is virtually impossible. I don't know. I'll ask you. Is that the right answer? Because that's how I feel about meditation. You have these little minute micro moments where you have that absolute quiet of no thought. But mm-hmm. on the whole, especially for beginners, it's like there's no chance in hell that I'm going to sit and not think about something. A hundred percent. And if you weren't thinking, something's probably wrong, <laughs> right? Like Our brains are supposed to be thinking. That's what they're designed to do. Yeah. And it's you know, the whole practice of meditation, at least for me, has really been a practice of learning how to relate to myself and my thoughts differently Mm. and no longer feeling like I have no say in the way my brain is working right now, right? Now it's like a two-way relationship. I get to interact with my thoughts the way, you know, uh, I get to interact with them and say, I'm here for this right now. Let's pay attention to it. Or actually I've already gone down this worry path five times today and I'm not going to do it again. Thank you so much. Right. We get to play with them in a different way. That's a really lovely way of describing it or approaching it and thinking about actually it's that having, because, you know, it is that conversation with yourself that you're having. And, mm-hmm. and so often I hear people and they're like, oh, you know, and they, they're basically berating themselves. They sit down and then they beat themselves up because they don't think they're doing it right. Or, um, you know, the thoughts keep coming. And, and that in itself is part of the practice is, you know, allowing those thoughts. And some days you can sit down and be quiet and be at peace and have that reasonable conversation with the thoughts, if you like. And other days, the thoughts just like, nah, 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 really like annoying. And you have to go, okay, that's, and you have to let go, surrender, like be with it and just go, okay, that's just the yeah. way we're rocking it. That's the way we're rocking today. Okay. So what can I do that would help? So for me, it'd be, you know, doing something maybe like a chanting or, a, you know, like being really purposeful with a mantra or something to then shut those stupid thoughts off. <laughs> Yeah, I would, for me, it would probably be to go for a walk and do a a walking meditation outside. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's, you know, I think it's important that we name that it's not like we're necessarily controlling our thoughts. I don't find that I can say, oh, I'm feeling anxious. And now I won't feel anxious. It doesn't, for me, it doesn't work that way necessarily. But what does happen is rather than my anxious feelings controlling every interaction that I have. So I'm short-tempered with my children or my partner, or I'm upset about things that really in the grand scheme of things, I wouldn't normally be upset about. Instead, I get to name for myself, I have a lot of anxiety today. So I need to be very mindful about what I say yes to, what I say no to, how do I respond and sort of give myself a sense of grace as I move through a day that if I wasn't paying attention would maybe not be that great of a day. Mm, Yeah. So, you know, you're obviously a busy woman, you work, you have kids, you have a partner. So how much time do you give yourself in a day for your meditation practice? Does it happen every day or other days where you're just like, do you know what? It's just not, it's not going to happen today. And you let that go. Or how does that? Yeah, I, 
meditate for 20 minutes. I carve out 30 minutes a day. So I meditate for roughly 20 minutes. I don't usually set a timer anymore. I just sort of feel that in my body at this point. And then I journal afterwards, which usually takes me about 10 minutes or so. So I carve out a 30 minute window in the mornings to meditate. And I meditate almost every day. And for sure, there are days where my four-year-old is sick or we're traveling, you know, life happens. And there are days that it just, it doesn't happen. And I have found peace with that. And, you know, I guess now 2010, so 13 years of meditating, I'm like, all right, it's never going to be a hundred percent. I'm going to let that go. Yeah. Um, yeah, But I do give myself the push to try and make it happen every day. And sometimes that means I have to sit with my kids and it's not a 20 minute beautiful silent meditation it's like let's just sit and take five breaths together and you know we went camping this past weekend my family um so we were all sleeping in the same tent and which meant we went to bed at the same time and we woke up at the same time so there was no like 30 minute window where i was going to go meditate but we definitely were like let's sit here by the water let's just connect to what's happening right now three Mm. minutes and it was lovely because that that uh, and it's interesting because you brought up that sort of nature aspect of meditation a couple of times and I think that's one of your sort of things Mm. it It is so talk to me about that because I mean personally I find such huge solace I'm really lucky I live literally two minutes from the sea so I can walk Mm. out of my front door and be looking at the sea from a clifftop I'd have to walk down but from a clifftop walking look at the sea within two minutes and I just often I just go out there I just look at the sea I just go (laughs) oh you just take a moment and just being there just being present with it and similarly with trees and nature being in a woods or just giving a big fat tree, a big fat hug um, is also a hugely strengthening and calming. But talk me through your, your version of what that is in nature. Yeah. So one of my primary teachers these days is uh, Tracy Stanley, who's in the tantric tradition of meditation. And in tantra, along with many, many other uh, wisdom traditions. It's not just Tantra and many, many traditions. There is an understanding that the outside world is sort of the macrocosm and the inner world inside our bodies, inside ourselves is the microcosm. And they're the same, right? There are mountains and oceans and rivers and elements, earth, air, wind, fire, all of this exists inside our body. And I should preface, you'll probably laugh at this because your podcast is named The Chakra Way. I came to yoga like, don't talk to me about chakras. This is, I'm here to like move my body and breathe, but I'm not into any of this mumbo jumbo colors and shapes inside the body, you know, and then you do the practice and you're like, oh, actually, yeah, this is real. And so it was a bit the same as I'm doing these meditations and my teachers are saying to me, there is earth inside the body. There is wind inside the body. And I was like, okay, that's a beautiful metaphor. Thank you. And one day I was doing a practice that was specific to the elements. So it was connected with each of the chakras, the root chakra earth. Right. And I was sort of moving through and I thought, 
I wonder what would happen if I did this outside. And so I went and I sat on my back deck and I'm doing the meditation, going through each of the chakras, sort of naming the element and sounding that bija sound. And I get to wind and I say, wind, air. And as I do it, I feel air. I feel the wind outside move across my body. And when I tell, I mean, I have goosebumps even telling the story. It was a pivotal moment in my practice. And it was a moment where I was able to be like, not a metaphor, right? This, this is actually letting me feel and sense and connect into my body in a way that I'm not able to do through my thinking mind. There's a lot I can do with my brain. This is not one of those things. And so then I was like, well, what happens if I sit by water? And we have a creek near our house. So I went and sat by the creek. What happens if I sit by fire, put a fire in the fireplace? And I sat with, and I am having these unbelievably connective practices. And from that moment on, I almost exclusively, unless the weather's crazy, I sit outside to practice because I just found it is a way to let me connect to the part of myself that doesn't feel like it's coming from my brain, right? It is coming from these deeper layers that I want to access. And it's, I think, harder if you go from the mind down yeah. versus what if I just start in the center of my body yeah. and trust that as opposed to being like, is that real? Is it not? So that's yeah. been my journey. Amazing. <laughs> I mean, that is so beautiful because... I think, you know, when you get a little bit deeper into all of this, you you start to um, connect with, because obviously when you're working with a yoga practice, you're uh, operating with your physical body. And then once you've accessed your physical body and you've got to know it and you start to feel that it has this energetic connection, you then begin to connect with the subtle body, the astral body, mm. that's slightly deeper um, sort of uh type of body and then beyond that is the the causal body which is where we hold our samskaras you know that's the the all this the the very deep stuff that we hold and so when you get into that moment of connecting with the energy of what you hold there it's just pure gorgeousness and it's I'm totally with you and I, it made me think oh as soon as we finish I'm going to run down to the beach and sit on the <laughs> beach my toes in the sand and the water in front of me and the wind across my face and oh it's just gorgeous so lucky. so good I want to go do that with you <laughs> yeah but it's interesting that you what you're saying about finding those times and when you were talking about that and like these stolen moments that you just like will just take five moments it made me think of my my Darling, uh, late um, mother-in-law who was um, very spiritual and she used to meditate. And I remember one of her, my brother-in-laws telling me that, you know, she was, they were taking her on holiday and they were getting on a flight and she'd sit in her chair and, and they'd be like, mom, can I get you anything? Do you need anything? And she's like, no, I'm just going to sit. And she would literally just sit wherever she was and she didn't have anything to do. She would just sit. She would just put her hands on her lap. She would close her eyes and she would go there mm. and it was such a you know she was a she'd been practicing for many many years decades and it was something so beautiful to just watch her just sink into this moment where she could just go okay I'm just I'm just checking out I'm just going to be 
there was such a serenity about that that I I've always I would treasure that that was such a, an important lesson that she she taught me it's funny that she just decided to, to come and pop into my mind and go tell them about me and my meditation <laughs> I love that that's I love that as well. so beautiful yeah so tell me you also you mentioned tantra meditation mm. so tell me a little bit about that because this is something that I think everyone always pricks their ears up oh tantra mm, that sounds interesting sounds sexy you know mm-hmm. it's not <laughs> not really, not really. <laughs> so will you will you give people an outline of what tantric meditation and the sort of the history a little bit about a tantra because it's something that I'm very interested in but I don't know I wouldn't never want to be interviewed on the on the subject so passing that sure. back to you. I'll, I'll do my best mm-hmm. um so at least my experience has been that the lovely thing about Tantra is it is really inviting us to practice from the center of our lives as they are. And so if you think about sort of the different pathways one might take as a practitioner of yoga or meditation, there's somebody who could be considered the monastic person who would not have a partner or children or a job, and they would be in an ashram or a monastery and dedicate their lives to practice. They mm. There wouldn't really be anything else other than practice. And that's one path. And then there were people that were called, I think, forest yogis. And they were the ones who essentially did the same thing, didn't have partners, didn't have children, didn't have jobs, but rather than be in a spiritual community, they went out into the forest Mm -hmm. and they practiced in the caves, in the woods, they practiced with nature as teacher. And then the third pathway would be the householder. And this was the person who had a job and maybe a family or at least relationships where they were engaged with other people in the world. And they maintained all the responsibilities of, I'm going to call it daily life. Mm-hmm. And they chose to, to, and there's no hierarchy. It's not one is better than the other. One is more spiritual or you'll go farther, anything like that. They're just three different paths. Mm-hmm. And I think Tantra is most interested in the householder. It says you can absolutely be a busy person and still have a rich inner life, a rich spiritual connection to self in the universe It doesn't have to be one or the other. And so a lot of the practices ask us to sort of sit down amidst our anxiety, amidst our anger, amidst our fear, and really sit with what is, how does fear show up in my body? What does it feel like? What's its texture, its color, its sound? And so we, I think, sort of embrace some of those heavier emotions that it can be very easy to say, oh, I meditate. So I, I don't get angry. I meditate. I don't get anxious. I'm just so perfect. (laughs) Rather we say like, oh, I'm anxious. Let me sit down and practice. So there's that. And then all of the practices are tied to the chakras. So we're working our way through the chakra system, through the spinal cord with every practice that we do. 
It's fascinating. I mean, it's it's so interesting because, you know, I have to confess, I suppose, that, you know, obviously I trained as a yoga teacher and I've been teaching for 20 years. So, you know, I've got a lot of experience, but everything that I have, that I teach in meditation are things that I have experienced and felt I've never been taught to teach mm. meditation and I've never been taught to teach the chakras either this has been something that I've all you know it's just seemed like clear obvious it's just come you know and obviously I've studied and I've you know I've read and mm-hmm. but mostly I've experienced I've tried to really kind of take my own um, experience of these practices to to teach other people and so it's interesting because I haven't studied tantra as such that it is based very much within the chakra system and I love I love that I think it's um it's so fascinating that you know and it just reaffirms what I believe which is that the chakras underpin everything they can underpin your entire spiritual practice and it can go in any number of different directions from there but once you have that basic knowledge of what they represent within you the world is your oyster off you go fly you know do whatever you need to Mm. do to to get you where you want to be I think that's you know it's so interesting that you say that. So I do I do a lot of teaching within substance abuse recovery and PTSD. And a lot of the people that I work with in those classes are very, very new in recovery. So they are just now sobering up. They are often just coming out of homelessness or deeply traumatic situations. And I went through a period where I was like, what did the chakras have to offer them, right? Mm-hmm. Like we, they're, they're dealing with so much in terms of finding even a sense of safety in the body. The chakras are not what I'm going to teach them. And I was teaching very, very tangible practices that were all about just bringing a sense of safety into the nervous system. And what was interesting is after each practice, and I would ask, you know, how did that feel? How are you feeling? What's going on for you? And almost always these students are saying to me things that they feel within chakra centers, even though I've never said that word, I never name them. I don't guide through them. It's not what I teach, but they feel it there. And so I have done several meditation teacher trainings and I actually lead meditation teacher trainings. And the one thing that I do in my training, and I love that you named this, is I introduce what I call threads of truth, which are like these foundational elements that appear across several different traditions in all meditations, right? These things make the meditation a meditation. They're the foundation but there is no script. There is no do it this way or it's wrong. You take those foundational elements and you use your experience in the practice to give voice to those, to that meditative experience, to guide people through it. And so even though my own practice is quite chakra based, and that's what I've learned, I I don't say those words very often when I teach. I I hope that people find that experience 
but based on who I teach and, and the experience I have in my own inner body, it's not that I say now we'll be not all the time. Sometimes I do. It depends. You know, now we're going to start at the root chakra. I don't teach in that way, even though I hope that's what you're experiencing. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. It does. That's, that's really interesting because yeah, again, underlies, underlies every, every practice um, is there. And how important is breath work within your meditation practice? Because for me, it's, yeah, big one it gets me there gets me to the place that I need to be to be able to meditate I can't just sit down and not do some conscious breath work just even if it's just three big breaths you know I can't yeah how is it I I think it's very important and in tantra it's very much a piece of the practice and where I started you know I started more from a mindfulness lens and breath work is not really a part of mindfulness and it's been interesting to sort of hold those two practices together with mindfulness. You might just sit down and close your eyes and go into the practice. And in a tantric practice, we would have a lot of very conscious, specific breath work that we would do, whether it's an alternate nostril or um, often it sort of guides you into a circle style breathing where there's not a pause between inhale and exhale which for me almost instantaneously brings me into my practice. Yeah. And I find that to be hmm, harder isn't the word I want to use, but it took me a moment to go there in my own practice. And so I tend to introduce that to students who have been with me for a while. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes nice dress uh it's a it's a t-shirt until you tried it on same goes for your health care that's why united healthcare offers a variety of flexible budget-friendly coverage for medical vision dental and more so whether you're between jobs coming off a parent's plan or even missed open enrollment you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Yeah. And in the beginning, I'm like, let's just sit down and name that we're going to meditate and start to interact with our thoughts. Let's just start here. And then as you're like, oh, I'm really doing this. Like something's happening and I'm feeling it. Now I want you to go deeper. So now I'm going to bring some breath work in. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's interesting that you say that because I sometimes, you know, when I'm teaching, especially in person and I'm teaching a breath moment, I, I quite often spend, I usually spend at least 10 minutes at the beginning of each class, just sitting, breathing, you know, sort of maybe talking to the aim of the class, the intention of the class, or just doing some straightforward breath work. And I often wonder if people are there with me because I often use that. And it's wonderful that you use that, oh, because I often use that as well. You know, if you got like a sort of a classic 
typeface O, and it's slightly fat around the outsides and skinnier at the bottom. Mm-hmm. And that's my visualization is that breath coming, you know, so it's sort of around me this away, you know, sort of mm. front, across the crown and then down the back. So you've got these sort of fat bits of breath that go to a thinner and then, uh, yeah. And, I, and I'm there just going, just breathe in, you know, breathe through the O. <laughs> like, mm. Anybody else in the just sitting there going, what is she on? <laughs> but, you know, I think practice is everything and and sometimes a teacher can say you know visualize something because a lot of people don't find it that easy to visualize things yeah and they you just have to kind of set an intention like when you're sitting down roots you know when you put your roots down into the earth um which is such a popular one and I don't know about you I haven't been through all of your podcasts to see what sort of themes are but mine you know I I look and see on my, you know, my, um, my details, you know, my, oh God, what's the word I'm searching for? Um, analysis of my podcast, which mm. ones are most listened to, which ones are the ones that people obviously go back to frequently. And the grounding ones are always popular, these, you know, mm. visual ones. But some people I know don't find it that easy to actually envisage roots going down into the ground. And so I, you know, I can say, well, just feel into it or the intention of it. Yep. Is that how you go as well? I mean, I'm just wondering if there's another way to kind of, if, you, if you're if you not able to visualize, but that's, you know, that's third eye stuff is the ability to visualize. Yeah. Um, open that up first and then maybe it comes. But what, how do you, what do you use? You know, I, th- I do very similar to you. I usually say something along the lines of, feel, see, sense, or imagine. And I'm like, come at it from the angle that's approachable to you. Like maybe you can just pretend, which is really setting an intention for it, or maybe you feel it. And, you know, it was interesting. I was doing a podcast interview and I was telling that story I told at the beginning about I'm doing my first yoga class and I hear you're going to be a yoga teacher. And the woman interviewing me said, so did you really hear it audible? Like, was it an audible sound that you heard? And nobody had asked me that before. Good question. And I, I had to sit for a minute and I was like, you know, that's what it felt. It felt like I heard it, but I didn't hear an outside sound entering my ear. I heard it in the center of my being, like from the inside out. And I think some people might say that they felt it or they saw it behind their closed eyelids. And so I, I think we must all have our, our way of experiencing the inner world through one of the senses. Yeah. And that's the one I want you to go with. You pick it. I don't care what it is. You pick because it. Because we all have that higher self. We all have that guidance. Absolutely. And I mean, that's where um, clairvoyance, clairaudience, clairsentience, clair, I mean, there are lots of clairs, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, all of those senses that we have. And I think it's a really valuable thing to do to actually take a moment to think about it. And I don't think you have to necessarily, I don't know, I'll see if you agree with this. Do you think if you listening to this and you're going, God, I wonder what I'm, what sort of the way, how, I haven't really ever thought about how I, do I feel, do I hear? do I see or do I sense it? I don't know what, 
either. It's unlikely to be smelling it or tasting it. <laughs> maybe, but maybe, maybe, who knows? You know, people with synesthesia, they they taste names. I have a friend yeah. who tastes names and she says, I can't stand my, my sister-in-law because she sounds like soap in my mouth. Oh, it's oh, so boy. interesting. Um, I think that's fascinating. I know it is, isn't it? It is such an extraordinary thing. This, you know, our senses are so fine and then I feel like they travel together so closely that it's not surprising that a few wires and a few people get a little crossed and so you end up tasting something you hear or seeing yeah. a color or a sound or and I, I I'm kind of jealous of that because I think that would be extraordinary to, <laughs> to mm. do that but then if you wouldn't know what it's not like not to have that maybe it wouldn't be so great everyone just go that's strange but, um <laughs> Sorry, I must get time. I've taken myself off down a little. <laughs> no, I love that. And I think it's interesting to reflect, you know, so I obviously I love podcasts. I have one and I'm chatting with you today, but I love to listen to stories. I love the sound of words. I'm very compelled by the sound of words. And so I'm not necessarily surprised that I feel like I hear things. And I'm not artistic. I don't draw. Um, I don't spend a ton of time with artwork that you would look at. And, and I don't see things when I close my eyes. I don't visualize. I'm much more inclined to feel it, maybe imagine it, but I don't actually see anything when I close my eyes. And so, you know, it's interesting to think for yourself, where do I feel the most lit up? Where do I comprehend the best? What's the medium I'm most drawn to? It might be the one you experience yourself through as well. Yeah, exactly. And then that, that makes me, that makes me very sad for all the kids at school who have been taught in one way, which mm. is just to listen and write it down and remember it when, you know, we all have such beautiful and individual ways that our brains work. And, you know, for, for some people that, works and others it just really doesn't and everybody has the different way so yeah exploring that I think is a really interesting um thing to do and to do within your meditation I suppose you know if you do sit down and someone says you know visualize yourself sitting by a you know babbling brook in a mossy forest or whatever like do you hear the brook do you mm -hmm. see the color green? Do you just feel the trees around you? Like, what is it that that actually lights up for you when when somebody says, "Imagine that's where you're sitting." You know, what do you see? And some people go, "Oh, it's a lovely vista." Their eyes closed, and they can see the whole thing. So yeah. yeah, it's um it's a nice thing to do. To I think actually a very valuable thing to do for your meditation practice to to actually really connect with that and go, "Okay, I'm a visualizer," or "I'm a, a hearer." <laughs> that's a yeah. word. And I think to me that there are two invitations so clear in this for your practice. And the first one is, even if your initial response is, I don't, like, I don't see anything. I don't experience anything when you ask me to visualize. What if we just got curious about what is that experience like? If you don't visualize anything, what does that feel like? What? What are you experiencing in your body when you're not visualizing anything? So we could be curious about what's happening, even if it's not the thing we wish was happening. There's value in that. And the other piece is, if you were to take three to five minutes at the end of that practice 
and stream of consciousness, journal what happened for you. It doesn't have to be complete sentences. It doesn't, you're never sharing this with anybody, but you're just writing what you remember from that practice in your journal. I often find that the wisdom, the aha moment comes afterward for me. It's not in the practice that I'm like, oh my gosh, of course I hear things. But later it might be, oh, as I'm writing, I'm realizing, like, I remember very clearly hearing a phrase, an idea, a sound or scene or smelling or whatever it might be. Sometimes I think the magic is in the journaling. I love that. And I'm glad you brought it around to that because that did spark my interest when you said that you meditate for 20 minutes and then you journal for 10. Mm -hmm. And I think, and I was like, oh, that is a, that is worth discussing. So I'm so glad you brought, brought us back there. Um, because I think journaling is in this sort of, what do you call it? No, it's not non-conscious writing, just stream of consciousness writing mm -hmm. is, um, it is so valuable. And what I want to ask you is, so you sit down, you have your scribble and you write maybe a couple of pages of stuff on a, you know, on a good day, maybe half, you know, maybe sometimes it's just like a couple of sentences. Other days you might write pages and pages. Yep. Um, but it's within the writing of it that you find the wisdom. It's not like you have to go back and go, oh, what was I thinking the other day? Or do you? I never go back. <laughs> never go back. And I'm sure there would be wisdom to be found if I did. Yeah. But it's in the writing itself that the wisdom shows up for me. So it will often be, because what happens so often is I'll have an experience that feels a bit like a daydream, mm -hmm. right? Something happens in that space where it's quiet and I'm not actively thinking, but of course your mind is working and something will unfold in my mind. And I'm remembering, I'm only going to partially remember because this was quite a while ago, but I remember telling this story in one of my teacher trainings because I try to get everybody to journal and I was like, I was sitting and meditating and I had this experience, this daydream that I'm trying to ride a bull with, and I don't have reins. So I'm like trying to ride this bull, but I have no reins. And I'm like kind of bouncing around and being all wild. And what I remember is in that particular moment in my life, that's exactly what it felt like. I felt like I was hanging on for dear life and sort of being thrown this way and that way. And in the meditation, it wasn't about that. But when I sat down to journal, I'm like, what happened in that practice? Oh yeah, that's so weird. I was dreaming about a bowl and like, okay. And as I'm writing it, that's when I was like, oh, this is exactly how I feel right now. And, and now that I have that, that wisdom, I have all this choice. What can I do to add reins to the situation, right? What, what choice do I have in my calendar, in my commitments, in how I'm structuring my practice to support a moment where it feels like I'm being thrown off the back of a bull, yeah. right? And yeah. so that was the wisdom. That is fantastic. And, and everybody recognizes that moment, you know, where you 
you you're just drifting off to sleep and you have a genius idea and you go oh that's great I'll remember that in the morning and then wake up and it's gone and the same with dreams you're like oh that was an awesome dream that was a great story but as you're waking up and literally as you come into consciousness it just melts away you're like oh that was so fun but oh what happened I remember the feeling of it but not what happened and that's that those are the moments that your subconscious and your guidance are giving you little internal clues as to what really is happening for mm. you inside because we're so good aren't we at covering up with the daily do and the you know expectations and the programming and the you know all of the stuff that we consciously deal with that um it it's so much louder it's so much louder in our lives than the subconscious which has so much wisdom um and depth to and to add to our lives and mm. so as a practice I absolutely adore that and um yeah. Yeah. I dream journal too I also highly recommend dream journal do you dream journal no I haven't for a while actually mm. but I I must start doing that again I mean I sit here and I'm thinking God, can I remember a dream I've had in the last but it's a matter you have to train yourself to do it you, you absolutely have to train you have yourself. to go to bed going I'm going to remember my dream tonight yeah. and then you have to wake up and go what dream did I have write it down kind of just as you're waking up just as the alarm is going off or just as you're and waking. even if you don't remember like what how do you feel waking up is there su is there a texture is there a color is there a sound if not, can you just scribble on a page for a few minutes? Yeah. Do something to start that habit of I open my eyes and I translate onto paper. And then the way my dreams and my meditation practice go hand in hand at this point is luscious. You yeah. know, it's it's very, um, it yeah. feeds my day for sure. And I think even if you're getting into getting into the practice of that, I'm just thinking for myself, thinking as you wake up, if the first thing you do isn't to pick up your phone and see who's, who, what yes. people have even spam emailed you overnight, um, <laughs> but in fact, to pick up a pen and paper. And if you can't remember your dreams, just do a couple of lines of gratitude because that's oh, going to be big time. Those, that's that's the, the magic's going to start happening as soon as you do that, I think. I agree. So one more thing that I want to bring bring you back to, because I find this interesting. It's something I've been thinking about of late. Um, so you said that when you first decided you wanted to learn how to meditate, you went off and you did a five-day, eight-hour day, sit down, oh, and you came away going, I can't do this. Those practices seem really scary to me like sitting down for more than half an hour even um is especially if you're going to do it in the very traditional sense so you're going to sit upright cross-legged mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest with everybody and say my feet my legs will fall asleep after oh, sure half an hour, my legs I can't get up I'll be like okay we've just got to wait a moment here and so um what came to me the other day, and I don't know why, and this is why I'm interested to ask you, is that I should, I something came up for me, is like, you should go and do a Vipassana, Vipassana mm. which is, for those who don't know, a 10-day silent retreat with eight hours of meditation a day. Have you ever done it? Obviously not, because you might have mentioned it. I have not done it. I have not done it. I have mixed feelings. I think it would be amazing. Let me just say, I think it would be amazing. And I think it would probably be one of the hardest things I've ever done. 
Mm. I really do. I have done several four and five day long meditation retreats. And my consistent experience is day three is a climb out of my skin. Get me out of here. What excuse can I manufacture to leave early? I cannot stay another second. And then once you break past that, of course, it's amazing and beautiful. My personal favorite practice is a half day meditation retreat, like three to four hours in 30 minute increments with a little five, 10 minute break in between. I love that. And I try to do that quarterly. I, you know, it, as a householder and a mom of little kids, I'm not going away for 10 days. And Mm. I don't, I don't want to feel, and I don't want any of my students to feel like that is the only way to be a quote unquote good meditator. No, no, there's no way that that is a good, it's, I think for me, I think what it is, it's a, it's a, it's a personal thing. It's like, I need to crack open a few layers you know, mm. there's a there's a few layers that I feel like I'm bouncing up against, and I'm just like, you know, I'm being patient, I'm being kind, but I do want to kind of crack through a little bit, and I'm just wondering if, well, I think I think I would probably rather do a four, three, four day. Start. <laughs> that's what, the that's ten what I would, my time. students ask. Yeah, I do say start with a weekend. Mm. Go do a weekend retreat. And see how that feels. And you might do two or three weekend retreats and then a week long. And then you could see about 10 days. But in a weekend and a week retreat, I'm presuming you come out of your meditation and then, you know, everyone will be quiet and respectful for a little while. But then you will go and have supper and you will chat, chat, chat. Whereas if a person, you are silent. You do not speak to anybody. You're living with all these people um, and you're all doing the chores, so you're helping serve and cook and wash up and all the rest of it. But you, but you are living and you're living in dorms and everything with these people. But you do not talk. Yeah, and I think one of the most interesting things in in most retreats, I, I'm sure people do retreats in many ways, but most of the treats retreats that I have been on, there's even in your you know quote unquote downtime, they say don't bring a book. Like you're not, don't do things that take your mind outside of your experience, just stay within yourself. And that in itself is a really interesting practice. There's no distraction. Mm. There's no, let me step away for a moment from the introspection. It's just there. And I, what's interesting, you're naming it so beautifully. It's, what I did was I started with this five day, which was such a mistake because I was not ready. I was yeah. not able to be, I think if I did that training today, it would be incredible. Yeah. I, incredible. I bet I would learn so much from it. I was not ready. There's I needed, so much resistance, isn't there? There's so much resistance and noise that I didn't have any skills in relating to yet. Yeah. And so go take a class, right? Start there. And and as you said, when you start to feel like what I'm doing is pushing against something I'm ready to move through, well, now how do I go deeper? Now let me try a one-day retreat, a three-day retreat. Let me go deeper. But don't you don't have to start there. We don't, it's the same thing about beating ourselves up, right? You're like, let me do the hardest thing possible. 
and then I'll be perfect. (laughs) I mean, don't don't get me wrong. I've never, I do have no illusions of perfection. I'm just, I'm just sort of on a, on a quest at the moment to just kind of push myself a little bit, a little bit past my comfort zone. I think that's what it is. Mm, You're ready. And of course the Vipassana is like, yeah, it is the ultimate hardcore thing to do. Um, and for some people, they just dive right in and it's amazing. And I'm sure it would be. But uh, yeah, I am I think I'm tiptoeing around the edge of that one quite gracefully. I think I'll <laughs> just spend a bit more time. But, you know, what is it? I love that. Is that, you know, what I always remind my students of when I'm not only when I'm teaching meditation, but also when I'm teaching yoga is that the whole reason why we have this asana practice is that so our bodies are strong enough to sit in meditation so that our bodies are strong enough to withstand the pranayama, that shifting Mm -hmm. control of our pranic energy through breath work, and then to sit in meditation. When you look at the tree of yoga, you know, you've got your yamas and your niyamas, and then asanas are only level two, pranayama level three. You know, there's a few, there's, you know, we're, we're eight, eight limbs on this. So yep. eight limbs. Yeah. Before we get up to the very top samadhi or whatever it is that, you know, eternal bliss and I don't know, next lifetime. <laughs> and meditation is up there. Meditation is like, what, seven, seven of eight? Yeah, I think, I it's think. so. It's yama, niyama, asana. asana, pranayama, pratyahara, Dharana, Dhyana. So seven is meditation. Dhyana is meditation. And then Samadhi. So we're, you know, meditation is an advanced practice. The two that come before that are concentration. And Mm -hmm. what's the other one? Pratyahara is the withdrawal of the senses. Withdrawal of the senses. That's it. And then, and, and concentration. And so, so concentration is what most of us are doing when we call, when we say we're meditating is we're learning how to concentrate on the present moment on the breath or whatever the anchor of the practices mm-hmm. and that Diana, that meditation, nobody teaches us that, right? We can't, nobody can give us that experience. That's where we, I call it fall into, that's my own personal experience. That's the state that I fall into when I get my concentration where it's supposed to be. So what you and I teach is concentration. It's dharana. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And, you know, before that, that withdrawal of the senses and that concentration um, is, they're super valuable practices in and of themselves. Absolutely. You're right. And, and you, you're, it's interesting because you can teach that with your senses. You can teach concentration mm-hmm. to a certain degree, but you're right. You cannot teach somebody, you know, some people just sit down on a mat and, and go and kind of meditate. And they're like, suddenly, you know, and I've talked to people on my podcast who are like, yeah, I sat down one day and like, ta-da, yep. I was in this gorgeous <laughs> heavenly place and the angels were singing and I found peace in my soul. And I thought I have to spread the word. And I'm like, you little bastard. Right. Dare it's not you. fair. It's not- for the rest of us work for years and years for one second for one second of that experience exactly exactly but you know it but it does take work and it does say take practice which is why yoga Mm. is a practice why meditation is a practice 
we can't assume or take these things for granted, but um, yeah, very beautiful there they are. So listen, do you realize we've also almost been talking for an hour? So I feel like this is, we could talk for a long, long time about this, but mm-hmm. I'm so grateful to have met you, Meryl, really. This has been gorgeous and your energy and your, you know, it's, just, it's been an absolute pleasure. So tell everybody where they can find you, um, you know, where you teach in person as well as your podcast. Yeah, so you can find everything at my website, which is my name, MerylArnett.com. And that's got my podcast, The Mindful Minute. I teach a Monday night live virtual meditation class. So you can join from anywhere and do a live practice with me. Um, So that's every Monday night. And then once a year, it probably will have already started by the time this comes out. But once a year in August, I do my meditation teacher training. Um, and then little odds and ends in between always, but it's all on my website, MerylArnett.com. Perfect. I will put that in the show notes and people can find that. Ah, thank you. It's been a real joy speaking to you. And I feel like there's there's so many more things that I could ask you about. Um, you know, we didn't even talk about walking meditation. We didn't talk about, you know, there's, I really (laughs) want, maybe we can do a part two on just sort of like the history and like a few more sort of like. That would be cool, wouldn't it? Like I would love that. And and the and the, all the different schools of meditation. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay, we'll be back. Roseanne, <laughs> this was so two. much fun. Thank you for chatting with me. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Um, I thought Meryl was such a great font of really useful, practical, simple, brilliant um, wisdom. So I I really enjoyed meeting her. And look out for the new episode that we are going to record um, about all the different types of meditation, because I think that is something that is incredible, would be incredibly valuable. So her details are in the show notes. And of course, you can go to my website, chakra-way.com to find out all about the work that I do. And I'm really excited at the moment because I am launching the Chakra Way in a different, slightly different direction. I used to run courses that were a set amount of time and they were group courses and I've realized that actually people need a much more personalized um, experience of learning the chakras you know it's for that those times when we're feeling stuck or lost lacking direction also in times of transitions because honestly we all have those moments don't we where life is just transitioning into a completely new thing whether it be jobs relationship or just something like the menopause that can hit us hard so if you are interested please go and have a look and get in touch um maybe book a discovery call so you can find out if working together is something that's going to be right for you Um, and we can go from there so I look forward to hearing from you take care and lots of love bye now planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.